Hey, Tracy. Hey, Jim. I am so glad to talk to you because I haven't seen you in a while and I want to know who are we going to talk to? Well, you know, I always rack my brain, like, who should we talk to? Who would be interesting to chat with? Yeah. And I'm so excited because we get to go and talk um, to some teachers and administrators at this year's um, rural conference. Right, rural schools rural, conference. Rural schools conference here in Utah. Yeah. And um, I'm really excited that we uh, we get to do that. And so I thought, well, we need to talk to more rural folks. So yeah. Besides uh, Jim. Yeah. Well, we've talked to a few principals, I remember, who are working yeah. principals of rural schools. And so I think we learned a lot from them. And um, our guest today is Mara Tekin. I think that's how you say her name, Dr. Mara right. Tekin. And um, she has done a lot of research on rural schools. Nice. It's true there herself. So um, let's, let's let her in and okay. find out what she has to share. Perfect. Hello. Hi. Are you, is it you. Mara? It is Mara. Mara. Okay, good. We said the name correctly. So I'm Jim. Nice to meet you. And I'm Tracy. It's nice to meet you. Thank you so much for coming and spending some time with us. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm uh, really excited to be able to talk with y'all. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. Very good. So we um, are just recording this and then we'll, you know, use it as our, our podcast. So. Okay. <laughs> so we're Sounds just going to dive right. We're just going to dive right in. So why don't you Perfect. start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Um, so my name is Mara Teakin, and I am an associate professor of education at Bates College, um, which is in Lewiston, Maine. Um, and I've been there about ten years now. Um, and I study rural education. Um, my, my research really focuses on the intersection of uh, rurality and race and class and how those sort of factors um, come together to shape schooling experiences and schooling opportunities to shape access to higher education, um, all of those kinds of questions. And are you well, in a rural setting currently or? So I live in a relatively rural place. I mean, rural is, um, you know, the definition of rural can be a little bit squishy, um, but um, there's, there's multiple definitions out there. Um, I live in a relatively rural place um, Bates College is located in the second largest urban area in Maine, um, but Maine is a fairly rural state. Um, so a lot of our students um, think that Lewiston, where Bates is, is the biggest city ever. Other students come in and think that they're in the middle of nowhere. Um, so, you know, your judge of um, judging rural can really lies in the eye of the beholder oftentimes. All relative. So, so how do you define rural? just for the, the benefit of our listeners. Yeah. So, um, well, I guess, you know, I'll, so most definitions um, tend to take into account things like population size or population density, proximity to an urban area. Um, some of them look at like land use, those kinds of factors. Um, for me, I have the luxury of doing qualitative work. I interview people, I do observations, I spend time in rural places. So for me, I usually just ask people how they self-identify, um, and that's good enough for me. Um, but, you know, but it is important for listeners to know that there's actually a variety of uh, definitions of rural out there. The federal government, I think, uses like 15 or so, and then every state has their own 
Um, I think it's Texas that has like upwards of a hundred or 200 different definitions. I mean, like, so there is a vast array of definitions out there. Um, Interesting. So, so you get a lot of places that are actually rural by some definitions and not rural by others. Oh, wow. I I just want to know though, why, why rural? Is this like your roots? Is this your, this is where you're from? This is your heart? Or is it like, Oh, you stumbled across and you're like, wow, that's so fascinating. Those rural people. I want to go find out more about them. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I, you know, growing up, I guess I, you know, it's more like now I can sort of look back and see and understand kind of how I ended up here. But, um, Growing up first, I moved around a lot. Um, And so that gave me a really good understanding that where you live really shapes the kind of schooling experience you're going to have. And I mostly lived in suburban areas, but I lived both in the Northeast and in the South. Um, But I think it was really my parents. um, My dad is from rural Indiana. My mother is from Chicago. Um, And so I grew up going back to both of these places and also seeing how their own, I don't know, sensibilities, their own way of making sense of the world was really shaped by where they were from. Sure. Um, so I think that that kind of got me interested in place and like how place shapes education. Um, but then I um, did my undergraduate work in a rural place and I did my student teaching in a very rural school in Vermont. And that's where I just fell in love with rural teaching um, I loved how small the, um, the school was, how close to the community seemed to be, and how really the, like the school was the center of that community. Yeah. Um, and so that was where I got hooked. And then I ended up teaching in rural Tennessee um, and then going back to graduate school. And I've been uh, working in and working with rural communities ever since. I love it. And I think that there's a real need for us to pause and look at what those needs are within the um, rural communities and and looking at school again I love how you talk about the school being kind of an anchor for the community mm-hmm. and um, because of that it also has some you know influences on the community Absolutely. and it's fascinating yeah yeah and, and that's what my work has um, you know I focus on a number of different topics one of them is this relationship between school and community um, and you know the schools of course are important because they educate our children, um, but they also play all these other roles um, in the community. You know, they can be the social center. Mm-hmm. Um, and when people talk about their schools, they often use words like, you know, it's our heart, it's mm-hmm. the center, um, it's, you know, the, the, the magnet, it's what holds us together. Um, you know, so it's a place where people gather. It's often the largest employer in a rural place. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it impl- you know, it offers a lot of jobs um, and it supports other businesses too, mm-hmm. you know, so like the school buses are serviced at the local gas station or, um, you know, the bills are paid at the local bank. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a really important source of political power too, um, because if you've got a, a school district, you've got a school board um, and that can be a really important place for, um, you know, the exercise of leadership and being able to direct a community's future. Um, so, you know, and th- those things, of course, happen in urban areas as well, but in rural areas, you know, the school might be the only institution playing that sort of role. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that importance um, is even more, um, even more central in rural places. So, Mara, I want to share that I uh, found your book, Why Rural Schools Matter, and maybe that's not your only book. That is, my, I'm working on a second one right now, but currently that is my only book. 
Okay. And you've got other publications out there, I know. But yeah. um, I ran into your book because I ended up, I moved from an urban area to a rural mm. area as a principal. And so I wanted to, you know, I've, I've never been in this kind of a setting before. Yeah. And so I wanted to really familiarize myself. And so that's why I picked up your book. And then we were looking for some uh, additional guests. And we thought, you know, this would be somebody that we need to talk to. We don't talk to enough folks about rural issues. Um, what do you feel is maybe a misunderstanding about rural areas? Mm. There are a number. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I think, especially after the 2016 election, um, there was this kind of narrative that emerged that equated rurality with a bunch of stuff, but um, in particular, whiteness, um, and assuming that rural means white. Um, and what we know about the demographics of rural places on the whole is that um, rural America, again, it depends on which definition you use, but rural America is about 78% white, um, but that means 20 two percent uh, non-white um, and that that proportion is growing um, rural demographics are changing so the, really the narrative about um, about rural America um, is inaccurate um, particularly in a lot of places so I think that's one big misunderstanding um, you know and in general I think a lot of um, a lot of that kind of post-election rhetoric really served to homogenize rural places um, but you know demographics vary the economies of rural places are really, really different depending on where you are. The geography is really different um, and different rural places wrestle with different kinds of um, different kinds of challenges. Um, and so, um, you know, I guess what I would say is that rural America is just as diverse as urban America. Um, and to try to pigeonhole it, I think, is one of the biggest um, mistakes and misunderstandings that we're seeing right now. Mm. That's interesting. What do you think are some of the biggest challenges that uh, rural schools are facing, either as part of the community or just the work that they have in front of them separately? But, but what do you, when you look at it, I'm at a state agency and um, have been kind of interested at what can we do, you know, on a systems level to make yeah. sure that we provide as much support as possible? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, um, well, one, I think is um, sort of what you're doing right now, which is actually like thinking about and paying attention to rural places. Um, policies often get writ written for places that are not rural. Um, and then when they kind of filter down to a rural setting, they just don't make sense. Um, so, you know, a good example was um, the highly qualified teacher provision of No Child Left Behind, um, you know, which required teachers to have a bachelor's degree in the subject that they were teaching. Well, in a rural area, you might have a teacher teaching several subject areas. Um, and so that just doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Um, also, a lot of, you know, there was a lot of focus um, during the Obama administration on um, uh, using research-based practices. But often the research was done in suburban or urban settings, not in rural. And so what might work in one place might not work in another. Um, so I think, you know, one of the needs is really to have policymakers thinking about context um, as they're developing policy. Um, I think another big need is changing our funding formulas. Um, you know, they differ from in state to state, but um, most have a large reliance on property taxes, which means that property wealthy places can generate all kinds of local resources to put towards our schools. Um, places that don't have that same kind of property wealth, they can tax themselves at a really high rate, but they just can't get much for it. Um, and this is something that disadvantages both um, 
rural areas with high poverty rates and also urban areas with high poverty rates. So I think we need to move away from that reliance on property taxes. Um, and then, you know, during the pandemic, we've heard a lot about the digital divide. And this is a divide that existed before the pandemic. Um, so the way it played out during the pandemic should surprise nobody. Um, but um, it's something that, you know, I hope that we're actually beginning to pay attention to and do something about right now. Um, and we, I mean, this matters, of course, for rural schools, but also just for rural communities in general. Um, I think that's a huge need. Um, and, you know, I guess one other need, I think, or challenge, um, one manifestation of this rurality equals whiteness narrative can often mean that, um, I guess I've heard from a lot of rural administrators that are teaching in predominantly white places that they don't need to really think about racial issues because we don't have a problem with that here because we're nearly all white. Um, and, you know, the first thing I say to that is, you know, rarely are you entirely white. So you are actually erasing a part of your population. You're just sort of not seeing them, not serving them. So that's one thing. Um, and then second thing, there's all sorts of anti-racist work to be doing in predominantly white communities. Um, and then third, white communities did not, like, they're, they're not naturally occurring, right? Um, that actually happened because of a whole history of, enslavement, displacing indigenous people. Um, and so we need to talk about that history. We need to reckon with that history. Um, and um, yeah, and also rural demographics are changing anyhow. So we're, you know, there's not going to be, you know, mostly white rural places for all that long. Um, so I think there's some real work that um, rural, many rural schools need to be doing around racial equity. Um, in settings that are mostly white and, of course, in um, other settings as well. Um, the same kinds of um, disparities and inequities that we see in urban and suburban schools, they exist in rural ones too. Um, and so, you know, we need to grapple with that and think about that. Yeah, thank so, you. Mara, I, you mentioned evidence-based practices, and that's been mm -hmm. one of the things that I've been wondering about because, um, you know, we talk about evidence-based practices in education as if they apply everywhere. Are there things that you have found that work in an urban setting that don't translate as well? And I'm thinking more along the lines of like in the classroom types of practices or in the school types of practices um, or things that are easily transferable. Um, so, you know, can a, a guy from an urban setting like me come into a rural school and apply some of that knowledge that I've had from previous experiences, or is it kind of a relearning? Um, that's a great question. I mean, and I think that, like, to be clear, I think it can be really good to have fresh eyes in a place. So, um, especially fresh eyes that are willing to learn um, and and fresh ears that are willing to also hear um, and, you know, sit down with constituents and really listen to parents and figure out, you know, what is the history here? And, um, you know, what are the challenges that are like, you know, exist right here? Um, I think one of the things that I often see with evidence-based practices is they assume resources that might not exist in all places equally. Um, so, you know, it might assume that you can easily go get professional development somewhere. Um, and in a rural area, you know, the, the closest university might be many hours away. 
um, or it assumes that you can just, you know, buy this new curriculum um, and you just might not have the money to do that. Um, also, sometimes it, you know, assumes a certain number of um, students or a size of the staff that you just don't have. Um, you know, so I don't think that like rural children and urban children are like fundamentally different. Um, it's more that kind of context that I think sometimes the research misses um, or just assumes like that context looks the same everywhere. And, it, and we know it doesn't. Great. Thank so, you. That's, that's helpful. And maybe you, you are touching on this in other ways through your book, but I'm curious also even about um, staffing and, and, you know, finding teachers and longevity and uh, even like building and growing your own and, and ways you see that happening and, and maybe successes or challenges or things we should look at because across the board, we have a teacher shortage uh, and our state's not any, you know, anything unique that way, but I see that actually becoming an even bigger problem over time when you're looking at the, the number of people who are graduating in education with education degrees. So I'm curious about your take on your research and just across the nation on how are rural schools uh, addressing these challenges and w what advice do you have? Yeah. So um, there is, so like you said, there is a sort of national teacher shortage um, and we anticipate that getting worse. Um, and um, we know it manifests in rural areas. Um, not again, not the same everywhere um, in different places in different ways, but in general, um, like some of the STEM fields, um, ELL teachers, um, they can really be hard to find um, in rural areas. And we know that most teachers, I forget what the number is, but like, you know, the vast majority of teachers teach within sort of a 50 mile radius of like where they grew up. Um, so there's just not the same um, pool of teachers um, mm -hmm. in, in rural areas. Um, so staffing shortages is like, that's a huge issue. Um, one of the more promising practices I've seen around that is grow your own programs um, and particularly programs that um, really build a pipeline. Um, and so identifying, um, ed techs or paraprofessionals um, that really have that gift um, and then are able to support them to be able to get credentialed and come back and they know they've got a job coming back um, or even working with parents um, and supporting parents through that process. Um, I think, you know, the, the, the greatest thing there is that, you know, because there can be challenges from getting teachers from outside to come in um, because they don't have that kind of local knowledge. Um, they, um, you know, there is that sort of learning curve. Um, but if you're able to grow your own, you know, you've got talented folks that already have that. Um, so I think that's one really promising practice um, that I would like to see more states really kind of get behind in order to be able to, um, to, to support that. Mm -hmm. Nice. So the, the topic of our, or the title of our podcast is Little Things First. And so we try to concentrate on like little things that mm -hmm. folks can do, you know, it doesn't have to be sweeping change, but little things that administrators can do, teachers can do uh, tomorrow even to uh, start to make an impact in their schools. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that. What are some, maybe you've already mentioned some of the things, but uh, some little things that maybe people can do tomorrow. Yeah. Um you know, I, I'll, I'll mention two. So one is like one of the reasons that I got into rural teaching and have stayed in rural education is um, rural schools are often small and can be nimble. Um, so it doesn't take, 
you know, an act of Congress to change a bus schedule. <laughs> you know, you can just sort of do it. Um, and I like that sort of, um, I, I like that ability to change. Um, and so a lot of things that might seem huge elsewhere can actually be quite, um, you know, not always easily done, but more easily done in a rural setting. Um, and I guess as a part of that, you know, it kind of comes with that small size is there can be these really like dense networks of relationships that exist in rural schools. Um, often because, you know, your teacher is also your best friend's mother is also your softball coach and is also married to your dentist or whatever. Um, and, and so I think like that can be a strength that rural schools can really capitalize on. Um, and so making sure that, you know, teachers, make sure you know all your students um, and the ones that you don't have those kind of pre-existing con connections with, develop those. Um, and also develop them with parents as well. Um, and some really small things that I've seen um, administrators do is rather than trying to create that wall between school and community, they actually welcome that fluidity. Um, and so, you know, if a parent needs to fax a form to their doctor, they just let them use the fax machine in the front office. Um, or if a family is looking to hold a family reunion, yeah, lend up the gym. Um, and, you know, that sort of, um, like, that's what makes the school the center of the community. So those are like really small micro level things. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, that's what gives the school that sort of importance. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess that's one thing. And then the other thing I would talk, I would think about is, um, you know, I think sometimes in rural education, we can really be thinking about like kind of urban rural divides and how um, rural areas just are on the kind of losing end of that. Um, and, you know, in some cases that's true. I mean, I, I think really like when you kind of drill down and like look at resource levels, I think rural and urban schools actually might have more in common and sometimes suburban schools, um, you know, have more of the resources. But even that, those distinctions, I think are increasingly overplayed. Um, but I think what we sometimes forget to do is look at the kinds of inequalities that exist within our own site. Um, and so, you know, I think really beginning to have some of those hard conversations about, you know, who do we serve well, who don't we serve well, what are the patterns that we see, um, and how can we do better? Um, and, you know, those are hard conversations that's daily work, um, but really beginning to do that kind of equity work within the building. Um, and, you know, looking at data, looking at, you know, what are the discipline rates? Um, how do they break down along lines of race or class or special ed status? Um, and, you know, it's constant work, but I, I think that is probably like the most crucial uh, role that administrators and teachers can play. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a question then just in looking at the title of your book and, you know, why rural schools matter. And in that context, if if you could, and we'd love to know, what is maybe the number one reason why rural schools matter? I think more than any other institution, they help to define and sustain rural communities. Um, you know, like I said, they're, they're often the social center, they're the political, their political power, um, you know, they provide an economic base. Um, they, 
I mean, you know, and it's, I mean, they can also be problematic in all sorts of ways. Um, sometimes they end up reinforcing racial divisions or class divisions, but they can also be probably the most important possibility um, for promoting equity and justice in the community. Um, and so, um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's just that kind of, they're absolutely critical to thinking about rural sustainability. Um, it mystifies me when I hear politicians talk about you know, we, you know, we need to support our rural communities and, um, you know, think about how we can, um, you know, revitalize rural places. And then they're also de um, devising policies that end up shutting down rural schools. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, rural school closure is a huge issue. And I'm not talking about like the temporary COVID closures. I'm talking about permanent closures. Right. Um, and like those two, th those two things are completely working um, at odds with one another. Um, and so, so yeah, so I mean, I think rural schools matter because they sustain rural communities and we need to really think about how we keep our rural schools open, um, mm -hmm. particularly if you say you're invested in rural re revitalization. Mm -hmm. Yep, I think you're absolutely right. Once a school uh, leaves a community, um, it, it can be really devastating to that community. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Mara, go ahead, we, we always end our podcast with a question uh, that, you know, we asked everybody, which is, uh, you know, if you could travel back in a time machine and talk to a younger version of you, uh, what advice would you give? And you can choose whatever version you want. It could be, you know, just starting out uh, in the world, or it can be, um, you know, just starting out in uh, scholar work. Um, so whatever, whatever time period you want to choose. I love this question. Um... <laughs> and I have so much to say to my younger self. <laughs> um, you know, I think, and this has kind of been true throughout my life, um, but I think I keep anticipating that I'll get to a point where things will just seem sort of more certain. Um, you know, like, I don't know if it's kind of an adult thing. Like, I think I'll like sort of get to adulthood and, you know, I'll you know, all these questions will be answered and I'll just know exactly what I, what I want to do with my life. And, um, you know, it'll just, I'll just know. Um, and I have not gotten to that point and I'm beginning to suspect that I just never will. Um, <laughs> and so I think I would tell my younger self to just um, kind of live with the uncertainty um, and uh, enjoy it. I know Great it advice. seems like it seems like we should get more of our answers que or questions answered as we get older, but I just feel like there's more questions. Yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> I think it grows. You know, I think it sometimes even becomes more unclear, un right? But it we just does. keep keep moving on the journey and enjoying the way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time. Uh, we know that you have plenty on your plate and uh, the research that is driving your work is so important. We're grateful that you've taken some time to be with us. And uh, we know that in our, our state, we, we, have, uh, we have a need to make sure we're doing everything we can to support the rural schools. And you've given us some insight on things that we can do and uh, given Jim some ideas that uh, it's okay for a suburban guy like him to end up in a really rural spot and he'll be okay. He can do it. <laughs> All right, good. I'm encouraged. <laughs> um, yeah, this was really, really great. And, um, you know, I think uh, a lot of listeners might be surprised to know how much of the United States is rural. And this is an important conversation to be having about, you know, how important our rural areas are.
series are. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you both um, for taking the time and bringing attention to rural schools. Very good. Have a great rest of your day. Yeah. Okay, yeah. thanks. Y'all thank too. You. Bye-bye.